Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It seems to be a good idea, whether we're talking about the beginning of a year, the beginning of a week, the beginning of a decade, it seems to be a very good idea for us to be constantly aware of where we are in our level of obedience to God. And in that awareness that we just begin to look at the places where we have drifted and make sure that we are willing to snap back, that, we're being, that we are willing to put off some things and come back to him or to him in the awareness of new things. I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus. If you've been serving Jesus for 30 years or you've been serving Jesus for 30 minutes, there are always those opportunities for us to get closer to him. And I promise you that there are areas where he's inviting you to get closer to him. And the way that we get closer to him is in obedience to that which he is asking us to do. Anything Anything that we do in disobedience is in likeness of the old self. Anything that we do in obedience to him is in likeness of him. That we are like him. We are bearing the image of God. When we talk about Imago Dei and the concept of a series, all we're saying is that we are called to live in the image of God. Christian people, if we ever want to sound smarter, we just say the same thing in another language. Imago Dei is just Latin for image of God. We're just living life in the image, in the reflection of the image of God. Now, there are some people who may not think that that is necessary. It's not necessary for us to live in his image. As long as we pray to prayer, we don't actually have to be obedient. And so what I want to do throughout this talk today is just bring us to a place where we are wanting, where we actually want to look like God where we actually want to, re to reflect Him. What can happen sometimes when we talk about us being made, as Genesis says, in the likeness of God, we haven't seen Him, but we have seen us, and we just begin to think, oh, okay, I guess God's about six foot tall, 195. I think that's who God is. Because that's what I see every time I look in the mirror. I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror, but what you see is what you begin to just project onto God. But what I want us to do today, because next week and the weeks after, we're going to talk about a spiritual giftedness. We're going to talk about our skills that God has given us and how we use those and reflect those to the measure of which God has called. But today, I just want us to make sure that whatever we're doing tomorrow, we do in the likeness of him. That it's not just what we do, but how we do it. How 
are we living our lives? Are we living our lives in reflection of him? So we see sort of this process and a comparison. He uses the word futility of mind, and then he talks about being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, just to help you out as you're starting your yearly trek in the Bible where you commit to read through from Genesis to Revelation, including all of um, all of the, the life experiences and all of the things and all the genealogies, like this is your year. You're going to make it through the genealogies this year. As you're setting up to get into this, I just want to make sure we get some of the vocabulary. When the Bible talks about the heart, it is talking about this conversation or the union of what is the spirit and the soul. We will talk about the soul as a separate entity. We'll talk about the spirit as a separate entity. We'll talk about the heart as a separate conversation. When we say heart, we're talking about this union, this convo between what is spirit and what is soul. And so when we talk about then the futility of mind, that's one thing where our thinking is just a train wreck, but he's telling us we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. To have renewal in the mind, it requires a spirit that has been made alive unto God. You can't just renew your mind by making a list of all the good things you need to do. That must come out of the flow of a spirit that has been transformed for the purpose of the renewal of the mind. So we're going to talk about some of these things today and just walk through it so that when we come back next week, I don't have to go over some of this again and we can just say things and you're not looking at me like, what did you just say? I explained it today. So take notes, make sure you get it because it's going to just come up as we go through and it's going to be important as we look at how we use our spiritual gifts. Because here's what I suspect. There are a lot of us that will look at ourselves and we'll try and figure ourselves out and in figuring ourselves out, we're gonna make ourselves better. I just wanna switch that around a little bit. What I think is possible is if we learn more about him, that the more that we learn about him will actually demonstrate itself in a better us. We're always trying to fix us where if we would just hang on to more of him, there would be a response of us to, to who he is, and we would just be better. So let's just kind of look at this process, because he doesn't give us a process of renewal, but he does give us a process of going from bad to worse. So it seems like then the reverse of the process, the process given is leading to futility. If we reverse the process, it would lead to renewal. So we'll start with what it is, and we'll just kind of work through it, if that sounds a little bit like a plan. One of the first things that we see that's on the process to a futile mind, which is evidenced by callous behavior, is a hardened heart. The first thing we have to guard, and I think we need to be very careful as we start out the new year to not neglect some of the bad habits we picked up last year and why we picked those up, and let's deal with that so it's not hanging on as we take the next step into the next year. Uh, I don't know how you are, but sometimes I, I drag garbage from one year into the next one. And this is where we have to really pay attention to our heart not being hardened. We don't need a hard heart. We see this in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 14 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul gives us an instruction here. He says, do not be like children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, when he says, be infants in evil, that, honestly, as a parent of four, that's a little confusing to me. I don't know how long ago it was for you to take an infant up to a toddler, so we'll say zero to two. I don't know how long ago that was when you took a zero to two into a restaurant. But images of evil come to mind. So when I'm told as like be an infant in matters of evil, I, I, have, to, I have to really think about that. Because when I think of an infant in a restaurant who decides they don't want to be there, what do they do? They just start yelling. Like for no reason, you can't figure it out. They were fine. They were just sitting there in the high chair, fine. And then all of a sudden, and you're like, you try to get as fast as you can. Why? Because they're just screaming. Why? I have no idea. Take you, a grown man, a grown woman. If you're sitting in a restaurant and you don't want to be there, try this next time. Just start yelling. Just yell. My point is, when I think of infants, I probably think evil. You give them Cheerios and just throw them on the floor. Why? You wanted them. Just toss them into the floor. You're done. You're ready to leave. You've paid the check. You get up and there's just Cheerios or those puffs. Anybody feed your kids puffs? They're everywhere. They're stuck to them. They're stuck to you. They're all over the floor. Evil. <laughs> Chaos. But he says, in evil be like infants. So now we have to think a little bit better about this. Now we have to pay attention to how kids treat each other. Now we have to pay attention to how they are forgetful of things that you and I would hang on to. If you've ever worked in the nursery, you can watch some little guy, he'll get mad, he'll take something, he'll just hit another one over the head. Now, thank God we have the best workers in the planet and they're there with their hand to just go right between whatever it was in the head because your child is safe this morning wherever they are in our student <laughs> ministries. But in other churches, what happens is <laughs> kids getting hit in the head with toys. But what is amazing is like 15 seconds later when the tears are gone, they go right back to that kid that hit him in the head. And now they're like pals. They're just talking, like having a good time. If somebody hits you in the head with something today, let me ask you how long would it be before you'd be pals? So the hardness of heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off a little bit. It's the, what causes it isn't your fault. That's true. It happened to you. That is true. They did that to you. Should it have happened to you? No. Should they have done that? No. Was it wrong? Yes. But now that wrong has come into your world, you now have the opportunity to hang on to wrong or to let it go. And when you hang on to it, it leads to a hardening of the heart, a hardness in a spot of your life that you just shut out. You might shut people out relationally. 
because you were betrayed. You might shut people out in concepts of partnerships because maybe someone did you very wrong. Like, I don't know what happened, but let's say something happened. And what happened created in you a hardness of heart. When you hang on to that, you step to the next level. If you want to know, am I hanging on to a hard heart, just ask yourself this. Are you now fueling Are you filling up on things that are justifying you hanging on to the hurt? Or are you filling up on things that are telling you, commanding you, asking you, begging you to let it go? Because when we fill up with what justifies our hard heart, what we're filling up with is ignorance. We go from a hard-heartedness to now I'm just filling up on ignorance. It's just not even true. And this is probably the most complicated thing in 2024. I know it's complicated for me. I feel like one of the hardest things I have to do on a daily basis is just figure out what's even true. My news feed, the news cycle, the conversation, somebody saying this happened and this person did this. Did they really do that? Did that really happen? Is that actually how it is? Does this really cause that? Like, I feel like we get so much information that it is almost impossible to vet all that we get. It actually is impossible to vet all that we get. So what we need to start doing is probably consuming a little less so that we give ourselves time to discern is what I just received truth that I'm going to hang on to or is it false that I'm going to let go of? Because there are people who spew false things for the purpose of justifying you holding on to your hard heart. And we have to protect ourselves against all of it. We have to be very careful about what we receive. Um, We're talking about New Year's resolutions. Anybody have a New Year's resolution? Okay, you are as pathetic as nine. You're as pathetic as nine. I know you're lying to me. I, I have some. I think they're great. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Curiosity. I I really, I don't know why we do this sometimes in church. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm too aggressive. Maybe I need to calm down. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's me. Okay, so, like, let's try that again. Anybody make any New New Year's resolutions? Like, Like, okay, it's me. It's me. It's my tone. To watch my tone. Okay. So, lots of resolutions out there. Um, I have gotten, I I had gotten until this week, now I'm all of a sudden back because I'm awesome. All right, but I had gotten a little bit sloppy about gym time. Um, I don't actually enjoy the gym all that much. Um, I love being active. There are things I really like to do. I don't necessarily like the gym, but it's actually really good for me. I need to do it, so I do it. Well, I had gotten a little bit slack. One of the reasons I had gotten slack, I like to make excuses for me, so just bear with me. I'm going to make an excuse. Um, I don't know how you are. Maybe you just embrace laziness. I just make an excuse about it. So I, um, I liked the playlist at the gym. So when I went to the gym, I liked their playlist. They played a bunch of songs that I liked, and they seemed helpful in working out. Now, when I brought the workout home, and now I'm working out at home, my home playlist, I don't let the devil play in my house. Now, I'm okay with him playing at the gym. Fine with him, actually. But I don't want him playing in my house. Like, I don't push play 
on that song in the house, though I might really enjoy it at the gym. I'm working through it. I'm, I'm being transparent here. Okay, so in my not wanting to play garbage in my house, um, I tried like, okay, I'll play worship music, because that, you know, you need to fill your house with worship. I don't know if you've ever tried to work out to worship music. But yeah, okay, it's wonderful. Janola has a great workout plan that works with worship music. Um, I didn't, just wasn't feeling it. Wasn't feeling it. So then I went to podcasting. I'll just listen to my podcast while I work out. That's worse. It's worse. I'm like thinking like, that was really good. You know, so all right. Now I found this playlist that is aggressive. That is like guitars and drums and it's just like, I mean, it's driving. And there are no lyrics. So I'm not pumping garbage in my house. That has made my workout much, much more enjoyable. But I'm only one week into this experiment. One week in. I'm serious. I want to make sure that um, even though there are words not being spoken, I don't know always what the spirit of things are in the moment, but maybe a day later I'll know. Or two days later, I'll know. Because you can hang out with somebody and have a blast at lunch. But a week later, or two weeks later, having spent time and time with that person, now you're a worse person today than you were two weeks ago. It seemed fine at the beginning. But as time went on, you realized their conversation wasn't best for you. I don't want to fill myself with ignorance. I don't want to fill myself with any ignorance. What about binging TV shows? I like to binge TV shows. Um, I don't know how anybody like to binge stuff in here. Nope, I'm the only one. That's fine. You're lying to me. You're actually putting off the old self is not lying to one another. That's Colossians 3.9. I could bring it up, but I'll just let it there. Does anyone in this room ever binge television of any kind? Why? Why lie to me? Okay, so, so here's what happens. You, somebody talks about a show. You go to stream it, it's, it's on what? Like season nine. You watch season nine, and I go, this is awesome. Then you go back to season one, and you just start what? Binging them to catch up, right? We all do this. Here's the thing, though. We have to be careful, because there are things we can binge that are just... There's nothing wrong with them. Just good, stupid, funny entertainment. But then there are some things that we can binge, and all of a sudden, our conversation shifts a little. Like, watching so much of this moves the needle of my thought life, or it moves the needle of my conversation, or it moves the needle of my language, or it moves the needle of what I might be uh, more open to now that I wasn't open to six weeks ago. And so we have to be constantly, every single one of us, we have to be aware of what we're listening to and finding, is this making me better or worse? You, you have to watch preachers. There are preachers who are false apostles. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. This is the warning. These people are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So when people take the scriptures and they twist them, there is a twisting of scripture today that people are using to justify the sinfulness of the church. Paul's speaking against it in this very text. He says, look, if you've heard Christ correctly, then what you've heard is you put off the old self and you put on the new self. What that means is it is a deceitful conversation. It is a false apostolic conversation for a preacher of any kind to tell you that your behavior doesn't matter, that how you act doesn't matter. I've heard people even suggest that there's nothing that we can do that pleases God any more or any less, that he's just happy with us. Oh, really? Apparently they have written, read neither Genesis nor Revelation, because what I see is when we do things in direct opposition to God, God responds to our activity in either pleasure and rewards us or displeasure, and there is discipline. That's what I see. What does that mean? That means God does have emotions that are either happy with us or not happy with us. If you go home today and you punch your wife in the face, I promise you, I promise you, God is not pleased with you. Say, yeah, but he loves me. He loves us all. He's not pleased with that. He's not pleased with it. If you're on the way riding home, you get mad at your husband for some things that I'm about to say in seven minutes. Then I'll tell you, you get mad and slap him. I'll tell you, God is not pleased with you smacking your husband. So if somebody is telling me something that is false, then it's telling me hang on to the wrong, embrace the wrong, rather than flee and pursue good things. That is a false message. There are false messages from preachers, from doctors, from attorneys, from accountants, from teachers, from counselors, from therapists, from everybody. Just because somebody has a title doesn't mean they have truth. Titles don't equal truth. And we need to be aware of that. Okay, so if I'm hanging on to some things because I want to justify my hard-heartedness, what's going to happen next? I'm going to be darkened in my understanding. Understanding is a very spiritual thing. A soul, a mindedness, mindedness, taking things on, studying things is a very soul thing. And all you're getting, get wisdom, but whatever you get, get what? Understanding. That's a spiritual thing. I take things that I have received in my soul and I allow them to be weighed by my spirit. Is this, because I can trust my spirit. My soul flirts with the flesh all the time. I can't, I can't always trust it. But a spirit that has been made alive because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a trustworthy partner. And that means my soul can be influenced by the spirit and I can trust my heart. Okay, so when I recognize this, if I have just embattled myself, received all this nonsense, the next step is I will actually darken my spirit. That isn't something we like to talk about in church circles because we like the idea to say that, well, once you pray a prayer that no matter what, like God just is always there. Um, if I took you back to the garden, I could show you where God was there and then because of disobedience, what did God do? He left. And every single person, every one of us, we are born alive unto God. And then there comes a moment, Paul says, when sin comes alive and what happens? We die. 
What happens in that spiritual death? You lose what you had. You are born alive unto God. And then when sin comes alive, you willingly choose sin. What happens? What you had, you lost. Why did you lose it? Because your heart became darkened. That is the loss of the light. Um, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Jumping ahead, but let me go ahead and do it here. Uh, God said, my spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. So when I live according to the flesh, what happens? I die. What is death? It is the darkening of the spirit. It is the spirit of God who is light in you leaving. When he leaves, what is left is darkness. When we take a hardened heart and then we fill it with ignorance, we will come to a place where our lifestyle will cause us to have a darkened heart. That is the futile mind that he's saying, don't let this happen to you. What is the evidence to the person out there? Because I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart. What's, what is the evidence to the outside? Oh, callous behavior. It's when our behavior is in alignment with the flesh rather than our behavior being a reflection of God. You being made in the image of God is talking about the innermost part of you. The, the innermost part. And we either respond to that or we reject that. Um, we see it this way in James chapter 1. In verse 14, James says, each person is tempted when he is lured, L-U-R-E-D, and enticed by his own desires. Then desire itself, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. So I can't be deceived in the space of receiving ignorance to justify my hardened heart because if I'm deceived by receiving ignorance to justify my hardened heart, what ends up happening is I will receive things that will cause my behavior to go so far out of bounds, so far in rejection of God that eventually the Spirit of God cannot live within me because I have become a seed of evil. And when he departs, what the only light that I had is darkened. This, this is the process of falling away. There will be, why am, why am I always hard on this? I'll tell you why I'm hard on this. And I'll tell you why I bring it up all the time. Because prophetically, in the gospel, we are told that before Jesus comes back, there will be a falling away. It's, it's going to happen. There will be a falling away. It's gonna happen, but I don't want it to happen to you. I actually want you to be aware that there are enemies that are after you who are trying to lie to you and cause you to fall away so that you're not ready for the coming of the Lord. What is the number one thing that we as people can be doing today? What's the most thing we can, what is it? It's being prepared for his coming. That's what it is, that we actually believe that he's coming and so I'm being prepared for his coming. So I want my mind to be renewed with his truth rather than be clogged up with the lies of the enemy because I don't want to come to a place of futility of mind. I don't want my mind to be vain. 
I want my mind to be renewed. Now let's give you a quick seminar and just kind of see where we need renewal, where you might need renewal. Um, there are parts in here that kind of get on my nerves a little bit where I need to work on it. Um, it just, when the word comes forth and it kind of just, we can either one, reject it and look for some moron to tell us that it's wrong, or we can embrace it, believe it is true, dig deeper into how can we see this work in our lives. So let's just take a few resolutions. Most people want to do better uh, financially. Most people want to be better off this time next year than they are right now. What are, the, what are the number one, from a gospel perspective, there are certain things that are plagues to your financial picture. They'll actually keep you from living in the blessing of God. I didn't say they'll keep you from being wealthy. I said they'll keep you from living in the blessing of God. There is a difference. And so what would keep me from living in the blessing of God? If I'm not generous, if I don't tithe according to his command, then I won't live in a financial freedom that is actually possible. If I'm not a generous person, I'm not going to be financially free. I will actually become enslaved to my savings account. Now, anytime it moves at all, anytime the market shifts, I'm like panicked, I'm all whatever, why? Because I'm just hanging on to stuff. If I'm not a generous person, if I've learned to give, then I will recognize cycles. I will recognize seasons. If I'm a generous person, if I tithe, I know no matter what happens, I have a harvest coming out there. So I'm not afraid of what might be or what might happen tomorrow. What I know in the end is his word is true. And what he said is that if I was a tither, he'd literally open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon me that there wasn't room enough to receive. Like I know that's what he said. So I don't have fear about these things. So the first thing is, am I a tither? Like do I do that? That matters. That matters to your financial picture. The other thing is, Proverbs talks about us not living above our means or spending more than we receive, that we now become a slave to the lender, that we're not supposed to be a slave to the lender, but we're supposed to be, actually, people should borrow from us. In other words, we shouldn't be at a place where we're spending more than we're making. So if I'm tithing and I'm not spending more than I'm making, oh, and then the next thing, that I actually enjoy the thing that I'm doing that he skilled me to do. There are some people, you just keep trying to do things that just aren't working. Let those be a side hustle. You say, yeah, but I'm passionate about this. Great. You be passionate about that, and when it works, let that be your income. Until then, do something else you're good at. I'm for real. Like, there's a lot of folks broke because they just won't go get a job. Why won't you get a job? I understand you want to follow your dream. I get it. But you have to survive, too. And so you can do this while you're living, but let's live first. So there is a work, a job that you can do that you enjoy that pays the bills that you won't spend more than you make and you'll tithe from. And I'm telling you, if you just kind of put all that together, guess what will happen this time, by this time next year, your financial picture will be better. Anything about that you push back and get angry about, take it up with the gospel. Take it up with the word. Okay, let's, let's offend the rest of the room. Let's take marriage. Let's say you say, my marriage stinks. It stinks. And I'm just, I mean, I love God, and I'm serving God, and my marriage is awful. You might be loving God. You might be serving God, and you might have a terrible marriage. That's actually possible. 
If you are, the, if I'm talking to you and you're the husband, here is God's call to you. Are you loving your wife the way that Jesus loves the church? Are you doing that? That means, are you leading your household well? Are you leading them into holiness? Are you leading them into righteousness? Are you leading them into the house of God? Are you leading them into a relationship with him? Spiritually, are you leading well? And if you say, oh, I, I mean, I think I'm doing great, okay, and it's still terrible, well, then let's talk about your wife. Maybe your wife's the problem. Ladies, maybe you're the problem. I know guys aren't supposed to say this. We shouldn't say this. It's not my place to say this, but I'm going to say it anyhow because I just got myself into this. Maybe, maybe you're the problem. Well, how in the world could you be the problem? I mean, the wife is never wrong, ever, ever. But maybe, maybe today, just for once, maybe you're wrong. You say, well, how is it if I'm wrong? Well, here's the thing. If he's following Jesus and he's leading his house and you're not following him, you're not helping him, you're wrong. You're the one that's wrong. And so if you're wrong, you have to get an alignment. If he's wrong, he needs to get an alignment. But if the two of you are following the gospel of God commanded to your roles based on are you the husband or are you the wife, then guess what? You'll have a great marriage. People, yeah, yeah, but the number one problem, Sean, the number one problem is just people that just, they're mismatched. I mean, there's just, there's irreconcilable differences. There can't be irreconcilable differences if one person's following God and one person's following. You can't have differences. How do you have a difference if he's following Jesus and you're following him? You're in the same lane. The only way you have a difference is, one, he's not following Jesus, or two, you're not following him who's following Jesus. That's the only way. If he's following God and God just moved in the left-hand lane and you stay in the right-hand lane, what happens? Mismatch. But if you are obedient to the Scripture, which tells you to help him as he follows Jesus, now what? You're in the same lane. No mismatch. It's easy. Having a great marriage is easy. We make it hard when we want to have a godly marriage with the world's rules. You will never, ever, ever have a godly marriage following the world's rules. And while I thank you for clapping, what I realize happens is we all leave the room and we go back to doing whatever we want to do. But if you want to have an awesome marriage this year, just put your behavior in alignment with the roles that the gospel has commanded you. And I promise you, You'll have a good marriage, a great marriage. What about our kids? Sean, my kids are just terrible. Yeah, everybody has bad kids. Everybody. Kids aren't perfect. They do dumb stuff. They do really dumb stuff. Some do really, really dumb stuff. But here's the thing. You have a promise that if you will bring them up in the fear and in the admonition of God, then when they're old, they will not depart from it. So all I'm saying to you is, when you say my kids are terrible, well, your kids might be terrible today, but if we're doing this right, they won't be terrible tomorrow. So in the same way that you may be broke today, but you've been doing all the things God has called you to do, you have hope in the future because of your obedience. You have hope in the future raising your kids because you have been obedient to the scripture. Like one of those things in the fear the admonition of the Lord, do we bring them to the house of God? Are they like here? I want you as a parent to do this. I want you to go home today. This is like your homework. And I want you to look at how much time our kids spend at school, how much time they spend in um, playing video games, how much time they spend in their sport or their activity or their whatever. And then, and then look at how much time they're in the house of God. 
Now, here's the thing. God has not even set it up that we're in church more than we're at work or we're in church more than we're at school. But here's what I promise you. When you give him what he's asked for, it's more than enough to keep you settled in the times when you're not in his presence. That, what I mean by that is you'll be fine at school eventually if you grew up in the house of God. And if you have a kid that is, um, well, I won't even say it that way. I'll just, I think all of us. Let's just put it on all of us, the back and burden of all of us. If you have a child, if you have a youth, like, I think they should be here Sunday morning. I think they should be here on Wednesday night. I think they should be here both. Why do I say that? Because it's important that they're in the house of God, seeing the generations love God and serve God. It matters to them. It creates in them a sense of, I'm not the only one. These are people who are older than me. They're smarter than me. That dude drives a sweet car. And if I want to be like that guy one day, I need to be in the house of God like he is. Like there is, There's more going on when your children are in community than you can imagine. But then it's also great, especially on Wednesday nights when they're in their environments where they see, see people their age that are in the same presence of God that they are. There's, there's a like-mindedness that begins to occur. So here's the thing. When we have our kids in the house of God and we're creating in them the fear and the admonition of the Lord, then we have a promise that when they're old, they won't depart from it. They won't. Yeah, but, but they are. No, no, but they won't. Yeah, but they, they're, yeah, they won't. You have a prophecy from the promise of Scripture that when you get this part right, when they're old, they will not depart. So before it gets problematic here, we just need to make sure we are doing this here. And I'll tell you, it's critical, especially in the younger ages, it's easier to get them to show up to church at 14 when you brought them every time at 4. So for those of you that are just getting started with a 15-year-old, God bless you. You pray more, you, you're going you're gonna to have to work harder. you got to do like 15 years worth of work in a week. That's, that's real. But those of you with little kids, start now. Just right now. Just, okay, I guess the rest of my year looks like this. Yeah, just like this. Thank you. I can't wait to see you every week. All right. So like these are things, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more. Now you just want scripture because you're looking like, so much more as you see the day approaching. Keep the Sabbath day holy as is commanded by the Lord. For God did what he did. He rested on the day. What is rest? It's soul rest. It's spiritual rest. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Jesus went to the house of God every single Sabbath as was his custom. The apostle Paul went to the house of the Lord every single Sabbath as was his custom. We could do this all day long. Don't look at me like that. It's important that you're in the house. All right, so, so hopefully if I have offended somebody in the middle of all of that, all it means is we need renewal. I'm speaking so that all of us recognize that all of us need to be submitted to the process of renewal. We never get there. We are renewed day by day. The outward man perishes, but the inner self is being renewed. Renewed day by day. So this behavior is required of us, not callous behavior, but behavior that is in submission to the word of God. Now let's talk about this really quick, this idea of being a reflection of his image. Um, in order to know what he looks like, I need to know more about him. So I need to study a little more about God. There are sometimes we just skip past things that are talking about God in our reading plan because we want to get back to talking about us. It's actually important that we know as much about God as he's given us to know about him. 
God has spoken no idle word. That means if he told us something about himself, in learning that, it brings transformation to us. Yeah, but how does it bring transformation to me? Does it help me at all? Yes, you knowing more about God actually helps you. Some things, just basic stuff that we need to know about him. God is three. We see that in um, John chapter 15, or 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. It says there are three who testify in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're an ESV reader like I am, your Bible stopped at testify in heaven. There are three that testify in heaven. If you're a King James reader, it goes on and says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is there a difference between those two translations? The reason why is because the ESV goes off manuscripts that are older than the manuscripts that the King James Version used in the older manuscripts. It didn't say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. As Christian doctrine began to formalize around this knowledge that God is three, let us make man in our own image, they inserted that into that text to bring clarity to the three that testify in heaven. Is it doctrinal? It's absolutely doctrinal when you're reading your King James. There's nothing false about that. Is it missing something when you read your ESV and it's not in there? You're not missing anything. You just have to read a lot more to figure out who all these three people are. Make sense? Hopefully. So God is three. He said, let us make man in our own image. When we look at the picture of Genesis, it says God said, let there be light. When did he say, let there be light? When the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's in Genesis. What do we see in the throne room of God in the book of Revelation? We see the Father. We see the Son. We see the Holy Spirit. On the throne of God, there sits the Father at the left side, and we see the Son at the right side. And then we see surrounding and within the throne, the spirit of God, who's represented by seven flaming torches, all around. That is the throne of God. And then between the throne of God and the elders and the beasts and the angels and all the other things, we see this sea of glass. Why? Because God is high and lifted up. Because God is most high. Because there is nothing that can be there except God. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal. But He's also three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the picture in Genesis. We see the picture in Revelation. We see the explanation from Genesis to Revelation. So God is three. But I need to understand, and God himself in these persons, what do I see in these persons? God has a soul. There is a soul of God. In other words, a mindedness about God. God does feel. God does think. God does have a purpose. God does have intentionality. I need to understand that because if he has intentionality, then he put me here for a reason. And if he put me here for a reason, I need to know more about him so that I can find out why I'm actually here and the purpose that I have to fulfill on the earth. As I begin to learn more about him, I begin to learn more about me. This psalmist said, who am I that you, God, are mindful of me? I need to know more about him. Who are you that you are mindful about me? Who am I that you are mindful about me? Like, I need to learn these things. God has a mindedness. He has a thinking. He has a soul. We see this in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 11. He said, I will make my dwelling place among you and my soul shall not abhor you. In other words, I will not hate you. Where where is hate found? Where is anger found? Where is love found? God is love. God is just. Where where is that found? It's in the soul of God. This is the part, it never, like he never changes. He is consistent in who he is. I can actually know him. Aristotle talked about an unmoved mover that began all of creation. They said that this unmoved mover was God. But he said, yeah, but you can't know him. He's not knowable. The God of our faith, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can be known. He has demonstrated himself to us. He's told us about himself. And so it's important that we recognize that God has a soul. Now, I have a soul. You have a soul. I have a mindedness. But here's what else. Dogs have mindedness. Dogs, dogs have emotions. Like my dog, I, I, don't, I don't even like my dog. I don't even like the dog. I bought the dog because the kids wanted a dog. I didn't want a dog. They chew up everything. You got to put them up before you leave. You got to rush home to let them out. It's just, they're miserable. My dog, a golden doodle, you got to get like shaved. You have to spend money on them. It's just ridiculous. You order food. It's a 50-pound bag. You got to pick it up from the front door and lug it into where it goes. It's just awful. Dog loves me. The dog loves me. Like when it hears the squeak of my Jeep turn in the corner, the kids say she just jumps up. I just see her at the door every time I come home. There she is at the door just looking. Can't wait for me to come home. Sits on me, licks my face, wretched. You say, well, all dogs do that. All dogs do that, but they don't all do that for the same person. Your dog can lick you. I could walk into your yard. It'd eat me. Why? They have a mindedness about them. So I'm not like God because I have a soul or he has a soul. Where am I most like him? That is the spirit of man. John 4, 24, God is spirit. Because God is spirit, that is the part of me that he fills. Paul said, let your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. The part of me that is like him is the part of me that he fills. When I say yes to Jesus, what was dark becomes light. And now all of a sudden there's this conversation between the soul and the spirit where the spirit of God leans into my soul through my spirit. It's not my spirit telling my soul anything. It's his spirit in residence in my spirit. He fills me. You can fill yourself with ignorance or you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But because I'm filled with him, when the soul is being tempted over here by the flesh, the spirit inside of me says, hey, 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 lean back in this way. I don't want to lean back in this way. Lean back in this way. I don't want to. I want, I want. It's, a, it's like this madness that goes on. But why do we trust that? Because the spirit of God is in you. The Holy Spirit of God from the throne of God proceeding, I hope we get this, proceeding from the throne of God, the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son and God fills you. You are filled with God. You are not God. You are filled with God. And because you are filled with God, you can know the things freely given you from God. Things about him, things about you, things about your future, things about your calling, things about your purpose. You can't study those and figure those out. You can't run a marathon and understand it. The only way that you can figure out what it is that you have been destined to accomplish for the kingdom of God is by the Spirit. You have to have a connection. You have to have an awareness. You have to have a leaning, a dependency on Him. God in you 
the hope of glory. So when we understand this, we come to a place where we will want to produce spiritual fruit, where we will want to use spiritual gifts. This is our year as a church to have the entire body in usefulness with your spiritual gift. It is no longer okay for us to just gather and worship and have a great time in his presence. We will still gather and worship and have a great time in his presence. But this is the year for every single one of us to be aware of God in us and aware of what giftedness he has given us that we might use it for the purpose of the whole body. Because here's the thing about being in reflection of the image of God. You can't reflect the fullness of the image of God, but you can reflect the measure of God that he's placed in you to reflect. And when every one of us, when we reflect the measure of him that he has given us, what happens? happens is all of God is seen in this room. I can't see all of him in you and you can't see all of him in me, but we can see all of him in us. And all of a sudden when you do your part and you do your part and you do your part and you do your part, there is a fullness. There's an overflowing measure of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst that is undeniable in a world that has never seen him that just might come in and barely see a measure of him when four or five are using their gift and it's not enough for them. When you come in and there are thousands using their gift in the moment they see the Spirit of God, they see the fullness of God like they have never seen him and now that he has lifted up everybody they say yes it's not enough for just a few of us it's going to take all of us this is our year it starts now